This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. The track session you're about to hear today is about connecting culture to kingdom. And one aspect of discipleship that comes out in this five-episode series is that discipleship has different contexts. Bobby Harrington, point leader for Discipleship.org, has co-authored a book with Alex Absalom on this topic called Discipleship That Fits. Well, Discipleship.org has partnered with Zondervan to release this sampler as a free ebook. Understand discipleship in the major forms it can take in terms of the group size from our personal walk with Christ to the crowds. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. That's discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Today we're featuring an episode from Navigators Church Ministries and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Connecting Culture to Kingdom. The episode for today is called Connecting Culture to Kingdom Through Groups for the Spiritually Curious, featuring Mary Schaller. Well, you're in the, the last of the five sessions of the tracks, and, um, and you're in the Navigators track, and the Navigators are all about discipleship. And, uh, and so, yeah, and we're asking people to, to come up to one of the front tables, ideally with people that are already sitting at a table so that you can... But if you want to sit there, maybe other people will, will join you over there. So, so my name is Mary Schaller, and I am retired, um, but the former president of a, an organization called QPlace. And QPlace, our mission is to mobilize Christians to facilitate group discussions with spiritual seekers so they can find God as revealed in the Bible. And I was the president of that organization for 10 years. The ministry is 60 years old. Um, started out as neighborhood Bible studies, which was small groups, um, inductive Bible study. And, um, and for adults that had intervarsity roots in that um, the founders were intervarsity staff people before they did this. And they saw the power of small groups in 1960, which was before small groups really hit the church scene. And um, they saw the power of small group communities to, um, to help people figure out what they believed about God as they read the Bible. And so, um, so anyway, um, I am, am a former entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. So the, the first part of my professional life was all you know, Silicon Valley high-tech startups. And um, in, in between startups, my husband, who was also doing about the same thing I was, and is in the back of the room there, say, hello, Paul. Um, we, um, we both were these, you know, kind of capitalistic, um, you know, hard-driving high, uh, entrepreneur executives that were starting companies. And between some of the startups we were doing, we got invited to, to, to be on the executive staff of a very large Presbyterian church and ended up... Um, uh, leading the small group ministry at that church, and we were overseeing about 400 small groups. And so, so that that's an important piece of the story. I will tell you about myself, but we'll get, we'll get more to that later. And um, we now live in Chicago, 
and have um, three adult children and five grandchildren. And so, and I'm delighted to be here. Um, has this been a good conference for you guys so far? Yeah, are you glad you came? Yeah, I am too. It, um, it's, it's encouraging to see more interest in relational discipleship and disciple making. And we know that disciple making really starts the minute that you say hello to somebody, right? Um, no matter where they are on the spectrum of what they believe about Jesus. And we see that in the life of Jesus, that when he met those 12 disciples, they really had no clue who he was. They were, they were, they were responding to a call, and it was over time that they recognized who he was. <coughs> okay, so, so there's a problem that we're going to talk about today. And I think you know the problem, um, because I think that's one of the reasons why you're here. Um, and the problem is this is that friends, neighbors, coworkers in our communities are spiritually curious, but they're not interested in attending a church service. And so um, what do you do? So I'm going to just start us out in a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, you, you planted us here in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces to be salt and light in a world that is increasingly rejecting you. And we pray that, um, that you would show each person here what it is that you want them to do to, um, to bring your kingdom to those places that you've planted them in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use my words to be an encouragement to them, to be an impetus for what you want them to do as they leave this conference. And um, we pray all this in the precious name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, thank you. So the problem has some of these manifestations. Um, you know, you're afraid of ruining your relationships um, and talking about Jesus um, or inviting them to church. Um, you know, we find that when people even want to think about starting these groups, the, the biggest obstacle to starting these groups is, um, is, is inviting them because it's 100% guarantee that if you don't invite them, they won't come, right? So... You know, people are afraid because they're, they're thinking, you know, if, if they may be out themselves as a Christian when they haven't before, maybe that'll change the relationship, it'll get awkward. And so, um, so there's some real issues about small groups for the majority, you know, in a group being non-churched and, um, and how you get that started. Um, but a lot of the reasons why people don't even consider doing some, a group like this is that they don't feel like they have the Bible knowledge they feel like, you know, they're going to get asked a question that they don't know, and, um, and they're going to look stupid, you know. And so, so th there's, there's a lot of reasons why these things are holding us back um, from having spiritual conversations um, as opposed to just inviting them to church, which is kind of a safe bet, because if you invite them to church, somebody else is on the hot seat to present the gospel, to encourage them to, to do another step forward. And so um, I'm going to talk about my experience, though. I had kind of a midlife crisis at age 50. Now, you think midlife crisis, you think, what was that about? You know, was it a marital, you know, midlife crisis or, you know, um, something else, getting, you know, the fancy red sports car convertible? Um, it, was a, it was a different one in that 
here I was, I, um, I had I'd been raised Catholic, I'd married a Lutheran, together we became Episcopalian, um, and then we ended up in this Evangelical Presbyterian Church, um, and then we ended up in being invited to be on the senior executive staff of this, this large church, sitting around the table with ordained Presbyterian pastors, and there's these two capitalists that are part of this you know, group of 12 senior executive team, you know, of a staff of about 100. And um, and so um, and and then leading these you know um, the, the movement of small groups at this church. Then I went to seminary um, because I realized I had a lot of holes in my theology. And in um, in the midst of all this, um, I had realized that I had not okay in in all of that that span of becoming a disciple. And I had met Jesus at age 16 in actually a, a Cursilio movement. Um, I don't know if you know about the Cursilio movement, but it was a, a way to present the gospel clearly and simply to Catholics. And, and I, in a weekend, got what I hadn't gotten in 11 years of religion class, that um, you know, it was by grace that we're saved and we received that free gift. And, um, and I was trying to earn my way to, to favor with God, and that wasn't working very well. I, um, I knew I was a sinner. That wasn't a problem. Um, and so... So anyway, so here I was at, you know, age 50 and already in like the Christian ministry business and I had never made a single disciple. And it, it really bothered me. You know, I looked at Matthew 28 and it seemed clear that those were Jesus' final words and, and he was saying, you know, we're to go out and make disciples and it wasn't as though I hadn't tried. You know, I, um, I would try to bring people to church on Sunday in our very unchurched community. We lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the San Francisco Bay Area, according to Barna, is, is one of the, you know, um, top cities in the nation, okay, that is, is, is unchurched. And our community was probably on the top of the list as far as unchurched of, of the Bay Area. Um, it was Portola Valley, which is just west of Stanford, well, there's a lot of really wonderful self-made people, um, doctors, lawyers, venture capitalists, that didn't feel like they needed Jesus or anything else to, um, to allow them to, to get through life. So I would invite them to church, and they had better things to do with their Sunday. They, they wouldn't come. And that was kind of like my, my one thing that I'd been taught, you know, bring them to church and we'll tell them about Jesus. Or you could tell them about Jesus over lunch or coffee um, and, um, and present the gospel and allow them to receive it. And, and that wasn't working for me either. And as a, as a matter of fact, a couple of those resulted in broken relationships that were hard to repair. So, so or I could go on a mission trip and um, bypass all the people that were unchurched all the way to the airport get on an airplane, go halfway around the world and present the gospel to them and they'd receive it. And, um, and so I'm thinking, you know, what am I missing? Why am I such a failure on this? It feels like I got to get this right before, you know, I go to my grave because this seems too important. And, uh, and so the, the Lord gave me this, this vision of, and I'm an entrepreneur, and, and he's like, look, you've got lots and lots of relationships with people that don't know Jesus, and you know a lot about small groups, and you see the power of small groups to transform people that are believers. Small groups can be a great venue for people to come to me if, if they won't come to church. And so 
I thought, well, give it a shot. Um, I, have, I, I was getting you know, a great seminary degree um, in you know, um, the seminary I had chosen. And, um, and I thought, maybe I can get a great seminary degree in my living room by inviting people in that don't believe in Jesus and, um, and see what I can learn from this process. And I was astonished at what, um, what happened. I, I found two other Christians that were willing to go on this journey with me, and we started praying for the people that we planned to invite. And, um, and, and we were already friends, and, and this really cemented our friendship because we, we were scared. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. We knew these, these people in our community from soccer games and um, you know, um, PTA and all the basketball you know, with our kids. So we, we had relationships with them, but not a spiritual conversation had happened in a lot of these cases, or you know, not enough to really move, the, move them forward in their faith. So in, it was 2002, right after like 9-11, and people seemed to be a little bit more spiritually open. And, um, and so we just sent out a, a, an invitation and said, we're going to start this you know, spiritual conversation group, and we're going to talk about you know, the tough questions about God. Are you interested? Come if you are. Tuesday morning, and, um, and about a dozen women showed up that morning. And, uh, and so we, we said, you know, we are interested in, in going on a journey of talking about these, these questions about God. And, um, and here's what we want to confess is, number one, we're a little scared um, because, first of all, we, we think you might, you know, think we have all the answers. We don't. I said, I'm in seminary, so I'm trying to figure out my own, you know, theology. And, um, and we also think that maybe you wouldn't even want to hear the answers like as directly as we could tell them to you because you've got to figure it out for yourselves. And we are going to be facilitators and guides to that discussion. And we're all going to learn together and go on a journey. Um, who wants to do it? And, um, and, and it turns out that there were um, the, the vast majority. I think there was one that said, no, I don't think this is what I want. Um, but um, we had a book um, called um, How Do We Know God Exists? It was, it was a seven-week study on th th that question. And um, they plucked down $10, and we went and bought the books, and we were off and running. And, uh, and, so, and, and we said, you know, bring your friends. Um, and so they started bringing people, and pretty soon there was a, a living room full of people and a, um, a family room, you know, with uh, another group that we're, we're all having this wonderful conversation. You know, we'd have coffee and we'd make it fun and we'd celebrate a holiday, you know, um, with a, a special brunch. And, and yet, you know, after a year, my other to two friends said, ah, oh, this is a waste of time. Nobody's coming to Jesus. We, um, you know, are you sure we're doing the right thing? And, uh, and I said, they may not have come to Jesus, but did you notice that, you know, Marianne, okay, is, is talking a little bit different about God these days. You know, she's, she's, she's noticing some things that he might be doing in her life. And I gave him several examples of, of movement that, that they were seeing as, you know, the binary, you know, if they didn't come to Jesus, we're not making any progress. And I started to talk about how it was incremental that things were happening and, um, and so one day, um, this, um, this woman that started to come, her name was Aida, 
And, uh, and she had um, the ideal life for a long time. She had a big executive position in a pharmaceutical company. She had two kids. She had a, a, a great husband. And all of a sudden, life went to, to the tank. Um, she lost her executive job. She got laid off. Her husband left her for another woman. And her two kids were apparently, you know, just really reeling from, from this family crisis. And she was coming to this group, and she was crying every week about where her life was. And, um, and somehow during the discussion, I said to her, or I said to the group, you know, um, something about how Jesus has, has really helped me to, to navigate life's difficulties and to just just talk a little bit about what he had done in my life in the context of the conversation, because as a facilitator, you're still, you know, a participant. And, um, and afterward, I saw her lingering, and she said something like, um, you keep talking about Jesus like you know him, you know, and, um, and I'm like, well, I do, and, uh, and it's made a huge difference in my life. And she said, you know, I've gone to church for a long time, but I don't think I know Jesus. She said, how do I, how do I get that? You know, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I actually used, um, we were involved at Young Life. Um, and so I said, well, it's as easy as ABC. I said, you admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus is God and he died for your sins. And, um, and, and the C is you commit to follow him. And she said, well, she says, I, I've tried everything else. And so, you know, I'm willing to do that. And so Right there in my living room, after everybody had left, she invited Jesus into her life, and um, I gave her a Bible, and the next week, she comes back in, and instead of the morose Eeyore-type style that she had exhibited, she seemed kind of like really happy, and you know, and so at, at the, um, the end, I said, you know, Aida, would you be willing to share with the rest of the group what happened to you last week? And, um, and she says, well, I met Jesus. <laughs> She said, um, she says, it's made a huge difference in my attitude. I feel like, you know, I've got somebody that's walking alongside of me, you know, that, um, that it's, it's, it's amazing. And so she, she kind of witnessed to the rest of the group. And, uh, and everybody leaves, but one person stays back. Um, her name was Denise. And this was a woman who was a, a litigator. And she was like a, a strong female professional and uh, very good at what she does, but somehow she was carving out Tuesday mornings from her work schedule to come to our, our group. And um, we called the group Tough Questions. And uh, How many people were attending at that point? You started with 12, 11 committed. What did it get to? We, well, at that point, a year in, we were probably at about a, a mailing list or, you know, a, a potential list of 17 or 18 to show up, Okay. And, um, and so everybody leaves, and she says, she says I, I want what Aida said she has. How do you get that? And, uh, and so two weeks in a row after waiting a year, okay, we saw, we saw the, the fruit of, of our efforts our, and, and God drawing them to, um, you know, Jesus. It was, you know, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the John 6.44, you know, Jesus says, only, you know, God can draw people to me. And, uh, and so, so I want to start with that as far as why this is important, because it, it, it takes you on a path of discipleship with people that 
won't necessarily grace the doors of a church in those early days of exploration and seeking him. And so um, I want to give you the, um, the, the first insight. Um, most people, and, and you've got the last, um, you've got a handout. If you don't have a handout, raise your hand and we'll get you one. But um, in this last you know, page of the handout, um, you can take these notes. The first insight I want to make sure you, um, you get is that most people have questions about God, but no place to discuss them, all right? What's the adage? Um, and I don't, for those who are a little on the older side like me, um, you know, remember Weird Al Yankovic? Um, you know, he says, if you want to avoid heated arguments, never discuss religion, politics, or, or whether the toilet paper roll should go over or under, you know. Um, you know, when we start talking religion and politics, and boy, in this heated environment of the political scene that we're in, you know, we don't, we don't go into those areas lightly. We, we, we really avoid them, especially if we know somebody believes differently than we do. Yes? I, I'm, I'm sorry. If you said this earlier and I missed it, I apologize. But some of the, the individuals that, that you're approaching, are these people that, that they are spiritually cur curious and sort of in a vacuum? Or are they, and, and what piqued my interest in particular is because when you said Aida, that's an unusual name. And uh -huh. I happen to work with someone who is an Aida mm -hmm. who is Muslim. Oh. And so so I'm wondering here, is your perspective coming from that they don't have firm beliefs about God? They're not coming from an established religion. Some are. So like to give you an idea of the makeup of, of, of the ladies that were in this group, um, Aida was Hispanic. Um, she was she had a Catholic background, so so did the lady actually Denise that um, that met Jesus the following week that I described. Um, but some of them were um, had no faith background, so they grew up kind of agnostic, atheist. Um, there was uh, a um, a Mormon in the group. There was um, a woman that had a Jewish background but was culturally Jewish. Um, I didn't have any Mormons in the, in that group, and um, and so. So it was, it was kind of a hodgepodge of people, some Protestants that, um, that had not, you know, really, you know, thought they were Christian, but didn't really know what it meant to be Christian. So, you know, they thought that if they went to church, that meant that they were Christian, which we know that's not necessarily true. Yes. Were, I feel like this kind of a thing could be easily dominated by a lot of Christians that speak Christianese and then like, Overwhelmed. So was it just the three of y'all? We're gonna, were... yeah, we're gonna get to that. Okay. But that's a very good question. Okay, if they're not in the majority, it um, it's, it doesn't work for them. It may work really well for the Christians, but it's not about the Christians. It's about the people that don't know Jesus, right? So so that's why to know how to navigate this is is important. So hold that thought because we're gonna go down deeply into that. So, so the, the basic thing, though, is, is that, you know, religion is not as much, these days, it's, it's not as much about a dialogue as it should be, okay? It's more about a monologue. When you go to church on Sunday, you expect to hear. And, um, and, and if it's not scratching the itch that you have as far as your questions as a non-believer, oftentimes they won't keep coming. And so, um, so anyway, um, Getting 
dialogue going, either one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, is, is really going to, to help everybody and people learn from each other. And, um, and when you get to, to participate in these discussions as a Christian, you get to share what you believe, but you have to do it in the context of as a participant, not as a leader. And um, we'll go into that more. The thing that makes this method something to consider is, um, as we all know, the statistics that church attendance is down. And whichever statistic you choose to believe from like what you saw with Barna yesterday or Tom Rainier, you know, talks about the fact that, you know, and he's from Lifeway, um, that, um, that, you know, you, 65% um, of all churches are either um, plateauing or declining. And David T. Olson, American Church in Crisis author, says that on any given Sunday, there's only about 15, 16% of the U.S. population in a church. So if, if people are spiritually curious and they're willing to talk if there's a safe place where they don't feel judged, um, where would that be? And here's the second insight, is that small groups are an ideal place for people to seek God. You know, in the last 25 years especially, we've seen a huge small group movement in the church. Um, and, um, you know, the, um, the, the small group is a place where people can be, become known, can um, support one another, you know, through life. They can, you know, study God's word. They can have community. Um, they can pray together. So here's my question that I want you guys to spend a few minutes on. Have you ever been in a small group with other believers, and how has it impacted your spiritual journey? Okay, so at your tables, I want you to just spend a few minutes in talking about your small group experience and how it has impacted your journey. All right. Out of curiosity, how many people have been in at least one small group? Raise your hand. Yeah, looks like everybody. Um, how many have had a positive experience that impacted your faith in Christ? Mm, okay. So how many of you in that group, um, the, majority were non, the majority were believers? Raise your hand. Has anybody been in a group where the majority were not believers? Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask those people that have had the experience of both a, a predominantly believer group and a predominantly non-believer majority group, what are the differences? Okay. You know, rather than a place to explore, we all had our own strong opinions. Ah. Uh, and, and the poor Christian guy was trying to lead this thing. Was he the only Christian? Uh, I think he was. Uh. It was kind of adversarial. <laughs> and then the second group I was initiating with this group of business guys in the workplace, the majority were spiritually curious. 
And over time, one, one of the things I saw over time, one of the guys said that, you know, Jesus had this posse of guys. He said, you guys have kind of all become my posse. Mm -hmm. And yet the expectation, in other words, that he counted these guys as friends, mm -hmm. yet the, the expectation of friendship was lower than what I would have experienced in a Christian group. And so it, it showed me, boy, people are just searching for anything even at that level of expectation, they just, that was life-changing for them. To have that kind of community? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. in comparison to the Christian group that I've been in. Sure. Yeah. Probably a higher level, though, than, um, than a book group. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, how about you guys? Uh, the different, different groups I've been in, uh, one, one group we could call an English corner, uh, used in China. Hmm. So all the people who come... So what, what did you see as the differences between a believer-predominant group and a non-believer? Purpose. The purpose of the group. Why are you meeting? Okay. All right. What, what else? Do, compare and contrast. You're, you're hitting on something really important. Okay, so just to repeat, language is different. You know, if it's mostly believers, everybody knows kind of the, the, um, the language, and so you, you're free to use the language that you know Christians use. In a, and whereas majority not Christians, you don't use that language. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Um, power. Um, when, when, you're in, when you're in the majority, you, you're a little bolder. Um, which means that if the power structure is the majority non-Christians, they feel a little bit more empowerment to, um, to, to say what they need to say and feel as though they can say it because there's another couple, several people in the room that will affirm what they said, right? Okay. Another thing that are common to both is relationship. Common to both is, is relationship, right? And, um, and, you know, what Bill said was was good, and that was the um, the the idea. Help me say it again, Bill. Um, this is my posse. This is my posse. Okay, that that you've got a level of community. Maybe it's not the deep centered, Christ centered community, but um, but we're going to go into that a little bit more because it it has tastes of that if um, if you structure it correctly. Um, you had a comment. 
Yeah, I've got, uh, right now, I, I'm, my wife and I are facilitating a, a group that's, uh, we call them young folks. These are like 20s and early 30s. They're singles. Okay. And and, and so there is uh, all the way from one young man who's per- pursuing a, you know, a degree to go into ministry, mm-hmm. uh, and then t- uh, two or three others that are very well-versed with the Bible. Mm. And then I have a Catholic a young lady who is a mm-hmm. Catholic, who was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. does not go to church, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, had brought, you know, had her Catholic Bible. Okay. And, and so, my con- now she has just bought a, a, a Bible, a study yeah. Bible, that, huh? you know, like okay. A, and so, my concern is a gap. And, 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 and we had a conversation just the other day where she brought up something where, you know, part of her belief system and what she has been and and i'm concerned about her feeling like an island well and and rightly so because it sounds like probably the majority are are believers and you have a concern that she is an island and and there's good reason to believe that um so hold on to that because that that is there is a difference between when you are facilitating a group of believers where majority believe the same thing, they believe in Jesus, they believe in the Bible, and um, and if you're in a group where the majority are not Christians, you don't have those things as, as a part of the common belief system. So it's going to be a lot messier, all right. And so here's your um, third insight: um, small groups for spiritual seekers requires an advanced level of skill. If small groups for believers is version 1.0. Small groups for spiritual seekers is version 2.0, okay? It's trickier. It requires more skill. And, and here's why. Um, this is one of the reasons. I love this picture. Um, people are so afraid of being judged, okay? Even Christians are afraid of being judged. And, and sadly, rightly so, because we tend to judge each other, right? We, we tend to think we know best, and we look at somebody, and if they don't believe the same thing we do about prayer or, you know, communion or whatever, we, we, we judge them. And, and Jesus, you know, is pretty clear that he didn't want us to judge people, right? Um, but we somehow do that, and, um, and non-believers have picked up on that, and they don't like it. So here's a quote from um, somebody that I love, um, Henry Cloud. He wrote this in a book called The Power of the Other, but he's written a lot of other books. The Boundary Books are, you know, part of his, um, his legacy. We trust people who we know understand us, our context, our situation, our needs, what makes it work for us, and what makes it break down. When they truly understand, listen, and care, we are more than willing to open ourselves up to them. On the other hand, if people feel we don't get them, or they judge us, um, for instance, their entire system begins to close down. And you can see it happen, you know, when, when they feel either through your body language or through your words that you've judged them, they're, um, they're not going to share much more, and they're going to try to get out of that conversation. What so, was, was the name of the book? Um, the Power of the Other um, by Henry Cloud. So my question to you is, um, are you willing to walk alongside others? There's this great um, quote in, uh, or verse uh, in 1 Peter 5.2. Um, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, 
not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. That's what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. I mean, you know, you're talking about probably the first small group. One could argue it was either the Trinity, <laughs> the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or, um, or the, uh, the posse that Jesus, um, Jesus had in, um, in the 12 disciples. So, um, but the question is, is how do you, um, how do you start a small group for the spiritually curious? And, and that's an important question, and that's probably why you're here. Um, in my view, I didn't know this at the time, but, but inviting two other Christians on the journey was probably the best decision I made. I, I, I made it without the theology behind it. But, um, but a lot of small groups in churches will be, have like a, a leader and an apprentice. Um, in these kind of small groups, you, um, you benefit by having three facilitators, three Christians, and, and here's why. Um, there's some practical reasons. First of all, you know, the, the devil doesn't want you to do this. And so he's going he's gonna, to you know, put some pressure and some you know, um, resistance, some opt- obstacles in your path. If, if you're alone, um, think uh, about the Ecclesiastes verse um, 4.13, where, um, where the, the verse says, you know, if, um, if you... If you stand alone, and this is the message version, you know, the devil can take you out. If, you stand, if there's two of you, um, you can stand back to back and resist his arrows. Um, but if there's three of you, um, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And, um, and, and I have seen this. Um, the, the, the idea of a, th- a triad, three, or if, you know, you're, you're doing one of these groups as couples, you know, four counts as a triad. Um, and I don't know if you've read anything by Greg Ogden, um, who's here at this conference, and, and he talks about microgroups um, as, as hothouses for discipleship. So, so he sees three and fours, microgroups, as, as a way for people to be more vulnerable, to be um, more transparent, um, to, um, to speak into one another's lives. And they're, and they're more practical because it's easier to get three or four people together these days than, you know, eight to 12 in a small group. And so, um, so, so if you think of the fact that you're picking two Christians to go on a journey of, of evangelism, of making disciples, you, you really are having a small group where you're discipling one another, but, but it's an outward facing because you're, you're sharing who you're praying for that God's put in your life, who you're going to invite. You're on mission together. And so, um, so I can't stress enough the idea of three as an ideal start to one of these groups. And, um, and so um, keep that in mind if, if you're thinking of doing this. Who does God have for you to invite on this kind of journey? And, um, and then when you start inviting people, just think if each one of you just invite like three or four, you know, if you each invite three, that's nine people. And, um, and that's 12 counting the three of you. So you got 12 people where the three of you are kind of like the Peter, James, and John, you know, who are walking on a closer walk with Jesus, and then the other nine who are, 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 are trying to figure out who Jesus is and, and seeing you as a model of, of who Jesus is. Uh, you have a question. Do you guys meet separately? Yes. Okay, good question. The, the question was, do you meet separately? The Christians, yeah. the, the Christians you, you may meet for maybe like six months, my my little triad, and I've done several of these now. We we meet for maybe six months before we ever invite anybody, 
you know, we share our concerns. You know, I, I was in one of these triads with a, a pastor um, and another woman, and the pastor, he was a, an adult pastor, he, he expressed to us his fears of doing this. He was a pastor, he was seminary trained. Um, he was afraid. And, and, and that was good news, not bad news, because if we don't air our, our doubts or our fears, they go underground, they don't disappear. And so, so we could pray for Colin as he expressed these fears. My other, you know, triad member, you know, she was afraid of the invitation. She was afraid, you know, if she was going to invite somebody from work that, you know, that person was going to disown her as a friend if she said no. So, so the, getting together and going on this journey together is, is, is an important thing. Um, I'm going to move on. Um, again, I cannot stress enough that non-Christians are in a majority, okay? They have power. They feel like they can say anything they want because there's other people in the room that are going to back them. If they're like the island that you described, um, you know, the fact that this woman is still there and expressing herself, it takes a lot of courage. And, um, and so I would encourage her a lot to keep expressing herself and what she really believes. And, um, and, and, and in these groups, when they're in the majority, they say the most outlandish things. And your job is not to fix it all, okay? If you try fixing it all, you lost them. So you, you choose when and how you provide truth in contrast to maybe some of the beliefs that are a little out there. Um, and, and that gets to the, um, the values. Yes? Quick question. How, oh, sorry. How do you count someone who would identify themselves as Christian but who isn't? You know, like somebody who comes from a, like a Christian background, you know, so they would have familiarity with the Bible perhaps. They might say that they're Christian but aren't. You know, how, you know what I'm saying? Like if you had too many of those, then it would feel like to the per one person who doesn't right. uh, claim to be Christian that they're in a minority. Mm -hmm. Sure. No. Yeah. You know, the question is, how do you count somebody that um, thinks they're a Christian when in actuality they're not? You know, your job is not to judge either. You know, um, discern, yes, um, because the dynamics are going to matter. Um, so you have to continue to read the group and, and kind of assess, is it, is it safe? Okay. And, and if if the one person that's an atheist, you know, is amidst a bunch of people that think they're Christians and they're not, that might be a dynamic problem that you need to address. So that could be another place, but but the problem with the, being in a group of believers is um, is they then feel like they're not on the same page as the believers because. When you get down a layer, it, it, it's nothing other than a cultural connection. And so, so th that's why these groups require a little bit more advanced skill. Um, and it's, it's for people that are mature enough in their faith to, um, and, and being with other mature believers to be able to discern these things, to pray, and to be able to, um, to let, let God really guide, guide you in how these things unfold. So there's no pat like hard answers. We can give you some structure. And, 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 I, and I'm now going to talk about, you know, what the values are of these groups. And these, this is on the back page of your handout. And, um, and that is, um, 
self-discovery around truth. And um, self-discovery around truth means that you as a facilitator, your job is not to, um, to, to tell them everything that they need to know. Okay, it's to help them through questions and, and curriculum that is inductive in nature, okay, that's self-discovery, to, um, to figure out what is true. Okay, people believe and, and learn much more when they discover truth for themselves than when they're told it. The, um, the next value is um, a safe place for spiritual questions. Um, when, you, um, when you can create a safe place that, um, that people can, um, you know, create, if you can create an, an ideal environment for spiritual growth um, where you, personal dignity is valued, each person's opinion matters, and, um, and the leadership is shared. And I don't mean just with the three Christians, but I, I also think that um, it, it means that you're allowing even a person that's not one of the three Christians, if there's curriculum, for them to be the facilitator that day. Because you're, you, want, you want to model and you want them to model um, being the question asker, not the teacher expert. And anybody can do that, no matter where, the, where their beliefs are, if they've got some you know, good facilitation skills. Mary, just around the... the uh self-discovery, um, so the source of truth is the Bible, <coughs> the Bible is in the lap and on the table? Um, in the beginning, no. And the reason being is that people have to believe that the Bible's worth studying. Yeah. You know, um, so that is one of the values, and, um, and, and you see it there, Scripture, the, um, the, the value that you can communicate as you start this group is, um, is that the Bible and the life of Jesus are worth serious examination, okay? So you could have Bibles in the room, but um, I would be careful about having it on your lap because then all of a sudden people, the optics say, you know, something different than they're ready to believe. So initially, where is the source of truth? Well, so, so if you're starting out with apologetic questions, um, like we, in this first group that I started, there was a series called Tough Questions. It was produced by Zondervan. There was seven questions, and, um, and then there was like sub, six sub-questions. And that was the curriculum we used that would allow people to at least have a place to, to, to land. And it was, it was inductive in nature, but it also was, was, was presuming some absolute truths and that was this one, okay, that scripture and the life of Jesus were, were worth serious examination, okay? A good curriculum these days, if you have not heard of it, is called exploregod.com. Um, there's videos, there's articles um, that is written with the spiritual seeker in mind. And, um, and so, actually, just this last year, um, the city of Chicago um, we did, a, we did a, a campaign called Explore God Chicago. I brought, up, I brought a few of them here. If you are interested in doing a citywide initiative with these kind of groups, um, you might want to look at the flyer that I brought that we used. Um, this campaign happened in January and February, and we had 1,020 churches that, um, that preached on the seven big questions in January and February from their pulpits. And they sent their people out into their communities where they had lived, worked, and played and, um, and invited people into an Explore God group. 
And there was curriculum that was, um, was, was offered by exploregod.com that you could go on the website and watch the 10-minute video um, and, uh, and, and, and use the questions that they had. So that becomes, until you get them in the Bible, um, you know, having curriculum is really helpful because otherwise you're just going in circles and, um, and you don't want to do that. Um, but when you go into the Bible, you, you try to go inductively. So you're saying, what does the text say? What does it mean? How do you apply it? Rather than hearing, you know, and, and there's authors out there that are very didactic, you know, that say, this is what it says, this is what it means, and this is how you should apply it. And that gives people very little ownership into the process. Um, who? Yeah, so how do you, how do, how do you basically invite with that in mind, right, to... So you're thinking like two steps ahead Sorry. constantly. <laughs> and and that, that says that you are really curious. And, uh, and so, so we'll get to that. Yeah, she, she is smart. Maybe she's going to be the first one of you guys that's going to start one of these groups. I want your email. <laughs> um, so, but, but the one value that I haven't mentioned is the Spirit of God is our guide. Okay? Think of a, of a tour bus. Okay? Um, the tour bus, you know, there's a bus driver and then there's the tour guide, right? So what are you? Are you the bus driver or are you the tour guide? You are the bus driver, okay, on the tour. But the tour guide is the Holy Spirit, and he's helping you to, um, to, to illuminate truth to these people that are seeking. And so, um, so don't discount the Spirit of God who's going to move in those that are spiritually open. So um, anyway, um, here's our, here's our fourth insight, um, and you might want to write this down, um, and that is that um, you need skills and structure to engage people who believe differently. And, um, and so what does that skill structure look like? The skills you need are, are skills that are, are what, what we see in the life of Jesus. Um, you know, you want to engage people like Jesus did. Um, and so um, whoever, whoever wants to live like Jesus must do, must do what he did. And, um, and so we have this, this curriculum called the Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations. I did a talk on that yesterday afternoon. And, um, and so... Um, you need skills, you need a structure, and, um, and ideally, when they're ready, you take them into scripture. So I want to show you what the skills are, and, um, and they're simple skills. It's almost like, shouldn't we already know how to do all these things? Well, the skill that we associate with evangelism is, um, is this one called sharing. But, um, but if you haven't built a relationship with people Sharings oftentimes will not produce the results because you haven't built a bridge of trust, relational trust, that can bear the, the weight of truth. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you see how he noticed people. You know, he, he noticed Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he invited him down. And, uh, and, and, you know, we know the transformation that happened in Zacchaeus's life. Um, Praying. Notice that praying is before sharing. And, um, you know, before we start talking to people about God, why don't we talk to God about people? Because when we start talking to God about people, he's going to tell us who is more spiritually open, 
who is ready for what part of the gospel. And so, um, so our praying needs to, and that's where a triad is nice because you have somebody to pray with and, and you're more accountable to pray for that. Um, that is in your book um, in um, a previous session. So if you go back to um, session three, you've got this um, Hollywood squares um, that will, um, will help you not have to take a picture of it. Um, but, but Jesus asked um, a lot of questions. You know, in the Gospels, you see he asked, um, you know, on the order of 300 questions. And, um, and, he, and he listened to what people said. And when people asked him questions, he bounced it back to them and asked them a question based on their question. Um, I'm going to move through this a little bit quick because um, I see that we're starting to get um, out of time. If you're interested in the nine arts of spiritual conversations, there's resources that will allow you to, to go deep on that. And one of the resources is one that we're giving out today. Um, even though I don't work for QPlace anymore, I believe in what they're doing. And um, I want to promote their resources because they will help you. And, um, and so if you fill out one of those cards that's on your desk uh, or your table, the little one, if you fill that out, QPlace will give you a free practicing the nine arts. This is small group curriculum that helps you really think about why is noticing important? Why is praying important? Why is listening an act of love and evangelistic? Um, if we give people a cool cup of water, as Jesus says in uh, Matthew 10, 42, um, we will be rewarded because those cool cup of waters in a very dry land have, um, have a lot of impact on somebody's life. And so, um, so these resources, I've got them here at the table if you want to see them. We wrote a book on this. Um, I'm a co-author on the Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations. It talks a lot about this. It's not curriculum. It's, it's getting these concepts in your head. And um, another one on um, the Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations. There's like 36 lessons here on how to be a better listener, how to be a better question asker, and so on. Um, there's also a book called How to Start a Q Place, which I wrote which talks a lot more about how to start one of these groups. And, um, and so um, I'm going to go on to the structure, though. And, um, and that is um, when, you, when you start a group, there's four stages of starting a group. You, um, you find your other two, um, and, and you do some preparation. And um, QPlace has coaching, which I'll give you a link for um, in a minute. And, um, and, and you go through that start, how to start a Q-Place book together so that you kind of get what's going to happen. And you talk about invitation, which is the second stage, and, um, and, and some suggestions on how to do it, where, where it feels natural and open. And, um, and then you invite people to these groups to come once, right? You're not inviting them to come for the rest of their lives. You're inviting them to come once and check it out. Because that gives them the freedom at the end to say, no, this isn't for me. But if you made it safe and you made it fun and you made it interesting and you tapped into their need, most people will come back because they found a place where um, they didn't feel judged and they feel like it's safe for them to explore. And, um, and if, if they come back after the trial meeting, you need to know what to do. And so there's a, um, a lot of information in the book and, and coaching that we offer to how do you keep it going once you once you got a good start and so um, anyway um, the um, the things that are part of the structure here are, um, are are really when do you introduce scripture and um, and how does the spirit of God work 
And, um, and so there's a, a great video that Place produced a few years ago about a church in California um, in the East Bay that, um, that talks about this church's journey. Your journey would be different as a church. Every, everybody's a little bit different. But this shows you what happens when they start using you know, some of this curriculum and when they start you know, a group, what, um, what, what happens within that group. So we're going to watch a, a very short video. I came on board uh, in FCC May 2000, 2015, so it's been about a year and nine months. And for me, the main attraction point of coming on board was seeing an elder board and a staff that was just hungry for changes and really wanting to take making disciples seriously. This church has always been very kingdom-minded. It's always been about building the big C church, not not building our little kingdom here, but really building the kingdom. And that's something I love about Pastor Davis, he's brought that back. What's been amazing is to have elders and senior staff and lay leaders bought into this. So there's a culture here that really wants to reach people that are far from God. It's been an entire community that said, we really want to do this. Can we learn? The goals that we were trying to achieve just at a leadership level were actually to try to provide our people with practical ways to engage the people in our community who don't know Jesus. That is what has been lacking, and that is what Place I think, has provided for our community, is just real good tools of how to actually move in this way. And just in your posture through the arts, the nine arts, just the noticing and listening, engaging, and asking questions, and all of that, but also then just the how to start a Q-Place and the, the books that, sh- that literally guide you through how to do all, all of these different practices that you encourage. And so it's not out there. Let's go be missional. Let's go reach people who need Jesus. But here's how you can do it. And I think that's what's been amazing about Q-Place. The Q-Place organization does a great job of really like laying out an outline of you know, how to start even before you start. When I started Q Place, it was also happening to be the same time that I had some conversations about God and spirituality with a friend, Thomas, of mine, who was a co-worker at Peter. He actually sits really close to me. And uh, he was very intrigued to learn, to find out that uh, I was a believer or a Christian over lunch one day. And he just came at me with a lot of questions. And I had conversations with him separately prior to even me knowing about Key Place. And when I heard about Key Place and I heard about the concept of inviting your non-Christian friends, you know, his name pretty much was at the forefront of my mind. I, I started asking questions and I tried to, to seek answers. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, none of the, the answers that I, uh, that I got seemed to, to really answer the question for me. Um, so I, I, I sort of, I guess I, I lost the faith. I, I don't currently believe in a, a, a God of any sort. I like the fact that this wasn't a group that's like, no, no, shut up and sit there and listen. That they did encourage you to speak your mind and to, to talk about it. And I, I really appreciate that. That's a rare thing. You're not afraid to pose a question because you think you'll be judged. You know, people are going to think, oh my God, what kind of question is this guy asking? None of that is. People have brought up some really deeply personal things and everybody has been supportive. Nobody criticizes you there, nobody uh, diminishes your viewpoint or say, no, you're wrong, you shouldn't think like that. I think the biggest thing that I've realized when attending these two places is the fact that as Christians, our job isn't necessarily to be that salesperson to close a deal. 
And I think uh, a lot of times we put a lot of burden and responsibility on ourselves to do that because that's God's commission and that's what we're here to do. But I've learned that to be there as a friend, to answer questions in a really non-judgmental and safe way. And through that, I think God will do His work. Plant seeds, be water, but man, God makes this thing grow. Because that's what's glorious, that's what God really did. But we have a role. So maybe if we just try noticing, try listening, and try praying, let's see what God will do. And that's kind of been a journey for us, and it's been a very exciting journey that I'm just, I, I think the best, the best years of FCC is yet to come. So I hope that you're encouraged today by what you heard. Um, I will finish my story on this group that I started back in California. I've started several groups since then. But in, and, it, and it turned out, you know, we invited these women once. They, um, they started coming. We said, you know, let's do seven weeks. And then they kept coming year after year. And in the five-year period that women were coming to my living room, a total of 17 people um, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, after those two that I mentioned at the beginning, um, Denise, one of the people, um, her husband ended up becoming a believer, and, um, and some of her family members, and, and sadly, her husband, who had become a believer just two months before, um, ended up dying in a tragic skiing accident. And, um, and so, you know, you don't know what impact you're going to have when you start one of these groups. It may ripple to other places. Um, I, I'm sure it will. And so... Um, so thank you for being such a good audience. Um, we, um, I, I would encourage you to consider um, QPlace coaching. Um, if you go on the QPlace.com website um, slash coaching, you can see when they were going to have another online um, seven-week coaching where you buy the book. It costs nothing to do the coaching, and, um, and those people are experienced at starting these groups. And so um, let me just pray and um, thank God. Um, Lord Jesus, um, that you are the one that is doing the work of bringing people into your kingdom and that we have the privilege of being a part of that. And I pray that you would show each person here what it is that you want them to do next. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Check out the sampler for Bobby Harrington's book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Thanks for listening. Until next time.